You're listening to Above the Mug, a podcast that highlights people whose passions drive their life. My name's Lucas Spinoza, and I own a coffee shop. Every day I get to speak with dozens of interesting people. Today I sit down with one of them to hopefully inspire you to live your life passion forward. What is going on, everybody? It's your friend Lucas Spinoza coming at you from my office inside of the Black Sheep right here in Welland, Ontario. You are listening to Above the Mug, a podcast that highlights positive people. We're here to show you how you can use your passions to live your life passion forward. Today, joined by an incredibly special guest, we have artist, author, and director of marketing, Sarah Godfrey. How are you? Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that you're here, and I appreciate you joining us. The whole premise of Above the Mug is in order to give people kind of a window into the lives of people that we meet every day here at the Black Sheep, and I, I feel like these conversations are wasted if they're not shared, you know, because there's, there's so much that we can learn from people like yourself. And maybe while we're, uh, we're doing this podcast, what's your Instagram, just so our, our listeners can take a look at your work if they're not familiar with it already? So it's the, the Lake of Spring is my Instagram. And I share a whole range of artwork there. So that page started out focusing on hand embroidery work. That's when that page really exploded. And then um, I've been also sharing a lot of illustration work. And I have some, you know, some dreams from that. And it's led to some really cool opportunities. Yeah, no, I've, I've really enjoyed your artwork. And I think I actually found your stuff more recently. Yeah. After um, people found out about you with embroidery, I, I think I found some of the more recent characters. Is everything digital or? It's digital. It's all digital? It looks super real. Yeah, that I draw, I do a lot of my drawing on my iPad. And I started, I think I got that iPad December 2019, so pre-pandemic. And I had seen a lot of illustrators work that they ha- just had this amazing texture and I knew it was digital. And I was wondering, are they using, are they doing this on a computer? And then after doing some research, I realized it was iPad and it's amazing. There's a company called True Grit Texture Supply and I really love their brushes and, and paper texture, textures because I like to have a historical feel to my work. So I use their stuff a lot and some of the built-in brushes that come with Procreate. But. So were you doing any art that wasn't digital pre 2019 or did you start doing digital artwork kind of all at all at once Mm, so i know i was doing some digital i was using because my training i have a very non-linear path (laughs) my bachelor and master's was in landscape architecture so i was drawing from the time i was very very young and i just i was really into creative expression and also singing and but yeah drawing was my primary form of expression so you know starting with crayon and pencil crayon and paint and my nana she was a talented watercolor painter so she taught me some tricks and then when I was in my degrees I taught myself the adobe suite as part of you know the school projects that I was doing so I tried to weave in illustration in what I was doing so even things like writing an essay I would make little graphics for the margins and I was using photoshop for that and then uh, it's just not, I feel disconnected from it when I'm using a mouse and I'm seeing it on a screen, whereas with the iPad, you're using the Apple Pencil. Yeah, it's got that kind of tactile feel. It feels like it's an extension of your hand. It does. The only thing I'll say about that is it's so much harder on your hand. I've really had to get used to that because it's a very elegant, thin stylus. You're using it on a glass, slippery 
screen, so I had the beginnings of carpal tunnel because you're gripping it so much harder on a slippery surface. So I need to invest in some of the um, the covers that you can put on it that have a paper texture, but it does feel a lot more natural. We're gonna have to get you a PO box. So <laughs> anybody listening, anybody listening, get out there and send Sarah the equipment bucks, that she so. needs. Send it to her. But yeah, I, I love talking to artists and learning about their styles. And someone like you, you have s such an unorthodox approach to art that it's just super fascinating to me. And you know, like what you were just saying is kind of wild because I feel like one of the problems, I think about social media so much because it's a huge part of my, my job. And I love experimenting, but I find what I've had to wrestle with with social media and just not care about anymore is the fact that it makes you feel like you have to niche down. I don't know if you ever feel like this, um, but there's this pressure that you have to like really specifically niche down and focus on one thing. And you're told a lot, okay, if you want to grow, you have to be very consistent. But if you're a creative person, that's really hard because how can you experiment if you have to reproduce, you know, what goes, you know, quote unquote viral. So I feel like um, with my social media presence, I'm now in a way starting from square one because the algorithms have changed so much, and also I don't want to be pigeonholed. Total sense to me. I mean, the way I, I look at your art, especially recently on Instagram, it looks like you have a style, you set fire to it, you shot it in the face, you buried it, and you tried to destroy it and start over almost out of protest. I've done, well, if you scroll back, I've done, <laughs> I've done that a lot. I've done that a few times. And yeah. I always feel like I look at other artists and their style, like when you scroll back, you know, two or three years ago, it's still pretty consistent. And I think if you scroll back, you can still tell it's me. Like you can tell it's the same person who's drawn it, but I've experimented a lot. And now I feel like I'm settling a little bit. I've been enjoying, because I have a dream one day to write and illustrate at least one children's book and maybe do something like a graphic novel or I don't want to get ahead of myself. So I've, been, so I've been experimenting with um, my comic style. And now I feel like I'm, I, I'm really happy with that. And I'm going to re, sort of just refine now, not keep starting from scratch all the time. I'm reintroducing a little bit of color again. I think my anchor color is black. I really love creating contrast. And I'm bringing in some color again because I also am really interested in learning about tattooing. Yeah. So, oh, so you want to do some, do some tattooing? I do. Yeah. I think that's really cool. And, you know, the other thing is some of the work I've seen more recently, I don't really want to say newer stuff, but some of the stuff on your Instagram yeah. that I've been seeing more recently seems to be not so much macabre, but kind of on the darker, mm -hmm. almost kind of spookier side of things. And yeah. I'm not sure if that takes if that's coming from a specific place or where exactly you're getting that inspiration, but I, I just really, really like it. Yeah. I, thank you. I really like it too. I, I, I don't think it's scary. It's definitely a bit spooky. I've always liked fantasy and, um, yeah, like spookier art and storytelling. And I think it also helps too. I have a five-year-old and he's very, very into spooky things. It's really cool. So I think that's really inspiring too, because he he always reacts to everything I do, and it's really fun. Like he'll ask me to draw, you know, spookier, scarier skeletons. He's like that since he was little. I think that's super cool. 
Um, did you notice that like once you had a kid, the way that you approached your art changed, like the way you set up and the way that you got creative? Yeah, I well, when I had so I was working on a Ph.D. after my master's, I thought I was going to go into academia. Uh, I knew that I wasn't going to end up as a traditional landscape architect. I just I could never picture myself in that setting. And I, I knew that's not really what I wanted. So I thought that I wanted to go into academia and focus on the research side. And so I enjoy writing a lot. So I thought this is great. I'll, I'll approach research in a really creative way. I started to get into arts-based methods. And then I had my son a few years into my PhD. I met my husband in grad school and it just really, your perspective changes a lot in general when you're a parent but I reevaluated everything at that point. I just felt after I had him, I was ready to work. But I noticed during pregnancy, I was obsessed with making stuff. I was supposed to be on bed rest and I was just drawing constantly. And I'm still like that today, he's five now. Just drawing every single day and creating things obsessively. I don't really know what it is, I guess seizing life and exploring my identity and hopefully helping him do the same thing. No, that's, that's super cool. You know, you mentioned school, right? And I had this conversation with someone yesterday at Niagara College and they were talking to me about business and how they were kind of jealous of my situation where I had this control over my business and my lifestyle. But I was also turning it the other way thinking, you know, I'm jealous of their situation because I feel I'm stuck a little bit here focused on my career and not so much able to learn in an environment like post-secondary. And yeah. there's something about the environment of, of university or college where it's kind of conducive to learning, you know, obviously, and, and also connecting with other people who are switched on and excited about learning. Do you think that post-secondary made your artistic career easier or more difficult? That's a good question. I, my instinct is to say easier because your schedule is kind of what you make it. At, once you get to that level, you have deadlines and you have work you have to do, but it's up to you to go off and do the work. So how you schedule your time is up to you. So basically, I was able to flexibly fit in artwork. And it was being, I was weaving it into the research that I wanted to do anyway. Um, so I do think that it, it helped me and it gave me some time to reevaluate. And I was on, I was on leave for a semester or two after having my son, I tried to balance it all, which was really hard and ultimately didn't work. But I think that it gave me some time and flexibility to explore myself and figure things out a little bit. Not that I have everything figured out now. I don't, <laughs> but you know, day by day. Do you think that you would go back if you had the chance to finish your PhD? No. No? No. I think that that ship has sailed now. It was a really beautiful time in my life, but no, I think I'm, I'm on a different path now, which is really interesting. So because of my artwork and having that chance to build it up and having opportunities come my way through social media, then I reevaluated and thought, okay, I think I want to go and pursue something that will allow me to be creative and produce things faster. Because the thing with academia is you, you write a piece and then you have to go through the peer review process, a very important process to make sure that your work is you know, meeting all the standards that it should be from every level in academia. But I like that I can produce things and put it in, into the world faster. So 
marketing and communications felt like a good fit for that. So there came a moment where I thought, okay, I'm, I'm ready to work now. I'm ready to not be a student. And I don't think I want to undo all of that and, and go back. No, I, I love it. I think that's great. I mean, everyone's got their own story and their own mm -hmm. path in life. And if it's not your time, it's not your time, right? So I think, I think that's a super cool thing. But what do you think the transition was like for you going from landscape designs into the career that you have right now? Because obviously they're completely different career paths. It is. I originally, you know, it's so hard when you're a young person and you're 18 or 17, you're trying to figure out what your career path is going to be. You're not a fully formed person yet. Those are huge decisions for a young person to have to make. So originally I thought that I wanted to go into fine art and I did get accepted into a program, but so many artists are told along the way that, you know, it's not practical and you won't be able to make any money and how are you going to earn a living? And social media wasn't even a thing yet, um, at least not the way it is now. So landscape architecture, my mom was a landscape designer. It felt like a really good option because I love plants. Like there's obviously a really strong botanical theme to a lot of what I do. flowers under shirt. <laughs> yeah. I'm covered in flowers at the moment. Not real ones though. <laughs> not real ones. Um, but that felt like, okay, that's a good kind of bridging option for me because it's creative but practical and yeah it's it was I do treasure those times it was it was a really beautiful period in my life and I'm still very interested in, in landscape but um I went on to the PhD explored the research methods and then so it's kind of like living a double life in a way <laughs> there was the academic life and then the art life so while I was working through my research direction at the same time this page started to take off. I would say it was 2018 that it really started to grow very fast and then cool opportunities came my way. So I got to film a video with an NBC Universal streaming service um, called Blueprint, which is now Craftsy. And then from there, then I was approached to write a book. So I wrote an embroidery book and now I'm writing a second one. <laughs> and yeah, and so now uh, because, because of all those opportunities, I built up this second area of experience. And then after having my son and just feeling like balancing all of this is not working, I'm not going to be able to finish this degree anytime soon. I think it would have taken me at least another 18 months to two years. I just thought, no, I'm, I'm ready to work. I'm ready to up my earning power. I was so stressed, though, when I made that decision. It sounds, it sounds smooth now, but at the time, it was such a stressful decision. And I started to put things out there apply for jobs and seek some career counseling. And then I was at a friend's coffee shop and just mentioned I'm, I'm applying for marketing jobs. And he said, oh, I know someone who's looking. And he connected me and then it led to where. Very I cool. So I Look started at coffee as a shop, yeah. say. <laughs> I know. What amazing I've had, I've had really good luck with coffee shop owners. Well, you know what the <laughs> thing is? Not, I mean, not to detract from what you just said, because all of that's really amazing. But, you know, we talk about risk. And I just had this conversation yesterday about risk and I think it's a bit of a weird word because risk especially mm -hmm. when it's about investing in yourself it's exactly that right I mean you're putting it all of that energy back into yourself the only real risk is going your whole life not doing what you yes want. yeah and, and I think that is the thing that people really need to focus on is you could the only thing we know for sure is how little time we do have you know so not spending that time chasing after your dreams is the real shame 
what coffee shops are for. You know, I mean, the whole point is to connect people and work with the community. And every coffee shop owner that I know, and I know a lot, they all have the same thing in common. It's not about money. There's not that much money to be made in coffee. I mean, it's enough to make a living for most people, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. But at the end of the day, it's, we're all doing this. It's because we love it. You know, we want to see the community flourish and we want to provide a space that's conducive to artists and business people and students and anyone who's just trying to get their work done. And most of us are, you know, well, at least for the most part, we're pretty happy. And it's so amazing because even this conversation here, I'm learning about you and your field. And that is the essence of this entire community. It's just investing back in people. With authoring, is this something that you wanted to do since you were little, or is this something that just came about after the fact? No, it was always my dream since I was so young. You want to see your name on a book? Yeah. I didn't think it would be an embroidery book. I remember at nine years old, I have this crystal clear memory that I still treasure. I think it was around nine or ten. I was at a friend's house, and I was writing a fantasy story. Because I knew, okay, I, I thought I wanted to write a novel. So I was writing it out, and I remember... Um, I remember having it read out loud by my friend's mom and she complimented my writing. And I remember feeling like that is such a compliment that it felt so great. And then because I was drawing, I thought, I don't know that I want to go for something novel length. I really felt like I want to write an illustrated kid's book. And I'd been holding on to that dream for so many years. And then I got into authoring through embroidery. It was like, it's, I'm sure it's the same for you. You like you just you do one thing and then it leads to something else and then you meet someone and it leads to something else. And that's exactly what happened. I started putting my art out there. I got contacted to film that video, which was so that was really cool, that experience. And then from there someone else saw that and then they reached out and asked me, Would you like to write a book? And I said, Of course. <laughs> and I've learned a lot about the publishing world from there. Yeah, you so. and you have something that I don't think can be captured by trying to describe it, but you have this thing in the air around you that makes people want to know more about you and about what's going on inside your brain. I knew from the second that we talked for the first time, I'm like, okay, there's something about Sarah that I need, I need to get to the bottom of it. And it, you have this creative aura about you and and i don't even mean that in in the art way it's just i feel like you see the world with a different set of eyes and i know a lot of um creatives that kind of fall into that same category usually comes with i don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth but it's like almost like a you're trying to figure yourself out and trying to mm-hmm. figure out the world and things just don't seem as they should be you know, and it, yeah. it's almost like you're using your art to try and flush it out. Does that sound somewhat accurate or no? Yeah, it does. I, I'm, I'm an introverted extrovert. Mm-hmm. I'm a shy. I used to be extremely shy. Now I, I've always loved being around people and I've learned to push through my shyness. And it's more of like an internal thing that I can get past. I still don't love situations like walking into a room where I know nobody. Yeah. I feel like you'd be good at that. I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit of an exhibitionist though, so yeah. it's not good for me. As long as I know at least one person, I'm good. Mm. And I'll still push myself into those moments. Um, but I have always been a very sensitive, gentle, shy person. And I think a lot. I, I think now that I've turned 
now that I'm past 30, I've simmered down a lot, but <laughs> it was always a worrier. And this is my outlet. It's so, it's so therapeutic. I find I can't even sit and watch a show and just concentrate on the show. I'm always drawing something or, you know, researching something or painting at the same time. It's, it's how I make sense of things. And so, yeah. Yeah, you, you mentioned something interesting. And I think a lot of people fall into the, this trap and, and not yourself, but you said about like 17, 18 year olds and they think they have to figure out their life, right? Yeah. And to a certain degree, you need to make a decision, but you don't need to determine the rest of your life in that year. You no. know, I feel like a lot of people put pressure on themselves to be like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? That is a ridiculous question. First off, you don't know how long the rest of your life is. So why pigeonhole yourself? Um, yeah. And then secondly, it, that would be like, what do you want to eat for dinner for the rest of your life? It's like, you don't <laughs> have to make that decision right now. You don't need to decide which song you're going to listen to forever and which movie you're going to watch forever. That's ridiculous. No. The same thing's true with career paths. At the end of the day, if you determine what you're comfortable with and without, you know, if you don't need all these extra luxuries, you have a lot more freedom. If you want the luxuries, then you have to pick a certain career path for sure. And it doesn't need to be, you know, a type of job. It needs to be a type of salary, at least, you know, in order to sustain the lifestyle that you want. But at the end of the day, it's like, for me, I didn't know I wanted to open a coffee shop until it was already open, you know? Really? I had no idea. Yeah, I, I, I knew I loved people yeah. and I wanted to have conversations every day. Um, I'm not a big enough drinker to open a bar. I'm not a good enough chef to have a restaurant. And so <laughs> coffee was the next best thing because I love drinking it. Um, I wasn't passionate about it as a beverage until we opened and I, I realized there was the specialty side of things, but um, I knew that I loved talking to people. So that's where it started. And then you know, because of the shop, I meet people who have passions I didn't know could be passions. And then those started to interest me and I started getting involved with community work. And then I ended up in politics somehow. And then I decided that wasn't for me. So I don't think any of the, the things that don't work are failures. I just think, okay, well, I tried something I thought I wanted. I don't want it anymore. And now I still have potentially another 60 years to figure it all out. Maybe more if I'm lucky, mm -hmm. you know? You, it still seems like you figured it out quite young. I think you're a little bit younger than me. Uh, yeah, I'm turning 28 in a uh, couple days. Yeah. Nine days. Happy almost birthday. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. I guess when this, come out, when this one comes out, I think I'll already be 28. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, I'll be 28 when this comes out. That's pretty young to get where you are. Yeah. I, I mean, it is, but it's, a lot of it is luck and circumstance, right? I, obviously, I, I have an idea of, what I like and what I don't like. But I think understanding the balance between wants and needs mm -hmm. is important. You know, a lot of people, they'll put things in their want category, which are societal wants. They're not individual wants, right? They're things that they think they need to have. And so therefore they chase those things. Um, I have no time for that. Yeah. You know, I don't care. You know, it's like people, would say to me when I was like 18, when are you going to stop dressing like that? Are you seriously getting more tattoos? Like when are you going to cut the hair? And you know, that was almost 10 years ago and I'm still doing it. And at 18, I had already been doing it for four or five years, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like when I, when, and if I want to change it, I'll change it. And it's not because society told me I have to do it. It's just because I'm either bored of it or I, I want to try something new. Um, and I, I don't, uh, I don't understand why people feel such pressure. I understand from family because families can be difficult for people if they're not supportive. 
Uh, and that's one thing I've been super, um, super fortunate about is my family just is cool with anything I try. That's really cool. You know? And, and even if they don't like it, like no one in my family <laughs> wanted me to get into politics. They're like, seriously, don't do that. I shouldn't say that. They didn't say don't do that. They said, are you sure? Right. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And they're like, okay. We'll why, did, why did you want to do it? Societal pressures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, I thought it was something that I wanted. You know, it was, yeah. uh, I was so successful in my community building uh, endeavors, whether that was on boards and committees or just here at Black Sheep, that people started saying, you'd be a really good politician. You know, be, you'd be great on council. You know, you could imagine what you did for the downtown, you could do for the whole city, right? And so I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Not realizing, uh, I mean, I was really naive about what a city councilor can do and can't do. Um, and it's, you don't have the individual power that you have on a board or a committee or the freedom or flexibility, and uh, you're not able to speak your mind as freely. Yeah. And so after a couple of years, you start getting worn down and the, the boundaries just become sharper. You know, it's like you, you think you have this big box to play in and then you realize the box is like a microwave box. And then you're like, oh, no, it's actually a mug box. And then it's like, oh, wait, this is this is a box for thimbles. It's so small, <laughs> you know, and I can't even get my finger in there to start moving things around. It's just yeah. so tiny. So, um, yeah, I, I learned pretty I shouldn't say quickly, but after the first year, things really started going downhill for me because I didn't have that same flexibility. And honestly, just, just anecdotally from listening to uh, hearing uh, feedback on people from this podcast alone, mm -hmm. this is like f episode 40 something, uh, people, I've heard people say that like the conversation that I had with X person made them want to get into illustration or made them want to get into comedy or made them... Or at least it made them want to take the risk or take the chance, right? And, yeah. and I think that if you're able to share these conversa conversations, you're able to share your personal struggles and endeavors, it gives people, uh, I guess, a little bit of courage. You know? Yeah, because we, we got away from it. But yeah. the, the 17 and 18, choosing your life path, I think, isn't it that your brain is not fully developed until you're something like 29 or 30? Yeah, I, I think when it comes to, I, I think 25 is the, the average f for most people. But yeah, it's not, it, it's also older and younger yeah. for some people, right? So I would say for myself, I don't even recognize the guy that opened this place seven years ago. And it'll be seven yeah. years in August at Black Sheep. And I was 21, uh, barely. It was, I think I turned 21 two months after we opened. And, uh, I had no idea what I was doing, you know? I don't regret any of it, but the fact that I'm here with the same business, but it's a completely different brain in my skull, you know, that, that I, than seven years ago. You just have to make the best decisions that you can with the information that you have at the time and the life experience that you have at the time. Yeah. And, you know, I, I sometimes feel like if you look at my resume, that I, I feel like it's easier to understand me when you meet me in person and you talk to me and, and you know like who I am and what I'm capable of on on my resume I always wonder like what does that look like she started out in landscape architecture and then she ended up in marketing and I think there are people who would understand that there's so much branding and design and um, writing that's involved with those disciplines that translate into marketing really well um, and because things like social media management are so new, there are many people who are in those professions who started out in something else. But I don't know, life for me has just not been 
a smooth linear path. Like you, if you see my timeline written down on paper, it's not, you know, she did this and then she did this in this field. <laughs> like it's, it's, yeah, it's just not like that <laughs> for me. But I think that's what's so exciting about you is yeah. that aspect, which is you're not afraid to just do something else. And, and you almost do something else out of spite sometimes, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and I do the same thing. You know, sometimes I feel like I need to challenge myself. Uh, when, when COVID first became a big thing a couple of years ago, I took a neuroscience course with the University of Chicago just because I was bored. And I, yeah. I did really well for like six weeks. And then I'm like, I'm not as smart as I thought I was. And that was very humbling. And yeah. that's a good thing. You know, like I tried something. I learned about axons and some weird, bizarre concepts to me. Uh, and then I moved on from it. But there's nothing wrong with giving something a shot. If it doesn't work for you, it doesn't. But, you know, I, I always knew I wanted to do something in radio. Ended up with a podcast. But the reason I took a jump is because I, someone asked me to be on their podcast. It was in their house. It was such a cool setup. I'm like, wait, I don't need a studio. I can just do it anywhere. And so I did. And, and so I think that's what's so special about, you know, taking these jumps is you don't need to commit to everything you do. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. And it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I think I definitely feel that way. I don't think I'm as calm in the moment with that because sometimes it's, well, especially because there are so many pressures with life as an adult. You have a family. Yeah, I have a family, and being alive is very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. Especially right now. So I've never heard a phrase like that. That's awesome. It's true. It is. So, you know, I can't just, you know, on a whim change everything. And I don't, no one really can. Hmm. Maybe if I was 21. But even then, I don't think, I wouldn't have been emotionally ready then. Um, it's incremental steps forward to build the future that I want. The good thing, though, too, is children are far more resilient than we give them credit for. You know, and, and yourself as a mom and as a wife and as a creator, you know, I mean, I think you have more flexibility than you think. You know, like if your kid needs to live in some uncomfortable situation for a couple of years, I don't even think they'll remember. You're like, I don't remember anything aside from like maybe two small moments pre seven years old. So it's <laughs> like you have a lot of flexibility to be a crappy parent, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as long as you're loving that child and supporting them and, and trying to give some positive reinforcement here and there and, and discipline where it's needed. I don't think it matters if you're doing that in a trailer or in a tent or in a mansion. I, I, I think you're able to really help a child develop in any situation. Um, and if you need to take a risk for yourself, it's only going to, going to benefit them in the future anyway, because they, they have an example of someone in their life that, you know, really is just doing what they think is best for them and their family. Well, I think I'm very fortunate too. Um, so I had Ellis when I was 26, just before turning 27. Mm -hmm. So that, at the time that felt older than it is. Like when I look back at that now, I think, wow, I was really, I was very young when I had Ellis. Mm -hmm. um, but so he was, he's, he's watched us go through so much. I mean, he, he was a baby. He doesn't realize it, but he's seen us transform and build things brick by brick. But I've been very fortunate that academia and then my current job now has been quite flexible. So I'm not chained to a desk solidly from nine to five every single day there's some flexibility especially working in hospitality as you know 
you're kind of all over the place all the time. So being a creative person in a creative job, working for a creative company has really worked. And I think, you know, one day, hopefully, as I build this, it can be self-sustaining. Um, but I think I'll probably kind of straddle those two wor- worlds for a while. Yeah, I don't think it's going to take much longer, honestly. I, I can feel it in the air. Maybe this is just me being uh, a biased outsider, but I, yeah. you know, there's very few people. And I mean, I, everybody I bring on here, I'm interested in yeah. like their career or their, their hobby, but I don't know what it is. And maybe this is me being overly excited about it, but there, when I, I feel what you create, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it just, it seems like it needs to be seen. You know, I, th- I think it's something that people need in their life. I mean, I, unfortunately, a lot of my hobbies are things that no one needs in their life. <laughs> you know, like you can, you can look around this office and you're like, wow, th- there's some, there's some niche hobbies like Zippo light- lighter collecting, you know, old religious textbooks, yeah. skulls. I mean, that's things that isn't, they're not really that highly in demand. So maybe I'm not the right person to see your trajectory in life. But I, I think that, uh, I hope that I'm, I'm accurate on it, on it. I think I am. I, I do feel something coming. And my, my husband has been saying the same thing. He's like, I just feel like something good is coming to you. Yeah, it has yeah. to. I mean, especially when it comes to authoring, you know, I mean, if that's the, the pinnacle, you know, like that's the dream, you're already authoring something, right? Yeah. So you already have connections in the publishing world, obviously. You're, you're already your own illustrator, so you're, you don't need any help there. I think it's just a matter of doing it and finding the right person to put it out there for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, I mean, you're following in the grand scheme of things. Of course, it needs to get bigger too, but it's pretty large for someone at this stage in your career. So I think, you know, even if 10%, even if 5% of your followers bought your book, it would pay for itself and probably more so, right? And uh, I know there's a lot of people locally that would, would sell it and, um, or, or at least help to promote it. I don't know. I, I, would, I would do it now if I were you. I think, I think my world is going to start, become, start to become more locally focused. Uh, and I've been thinking about this a lot, especially as a marketer. Like for your, for your business, for example, you do not need to have hundreds of thousands of followers for a black sheep. I guess, I don't know how far you ship your, your, your coffee. And the Too other far, part. objectively. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it could lead to some, you know, sales far afield, people carrying your coffee. But for the day-to-day physical space, you don't need to have hundreds of thousands of followers for your business to be You don't successful. even need hundreds of customers. Literally, no. if you have like 80 regular customers... You're set for life, you know? doesn't mean that you should give up and stop trying, but no. I'm saying, like, if you keep those 80 people happy, you can sustain a business locally. The best, the best marketing for a local business is to start by having an amazing product and treating the people who, treating your customers, your guests, like, superbly. Mm. Like, have an outstanding service and product and then from there, you convert like these raving fans of your business and it can start to grow from there. Yeah. And then with your marketing efforts, then you know you're marketing everything with integrity and honesty, like because it's, you know that it's, it's great in real life and it translates really well to the marketing side. So for me, 
I feel like I want to start to, we're really, we're really happy in Niagara. I want to start to focus more on projects for local businesses. Like if it was a mural or helping someone with branding or, you know, I've designed signage with my work. So can I create signage? I know how to go through that printing process. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to doing all the publishing, I think the reality for many artists is you have to have multiple streams of income. Yeah, 100%. And if you think about it, really, I mean, anyone we look up to as an intellect or as an entrepreneur or whatever, none of them do one thing. You know, so like when when people feel like, oh, you have to make all of your money doing one thing, I think that's a little bit naive and maybe a little misguided. Um, You know, a lot of the authors that I read, authoring is just a part of their business. They have they have other things. They do speech speaking engagements. They um have their own podcast or YouTube channel, then they're also selling products or a service online. So, I mean, that's, that's all a part of this. You know, mm-hmm. I have no intention on just doing coffee my whole life. I love coffee. I'll, I'll never stop <laughs> doing it. Yeah. At least I don't think so. Um, I, I, can't ju- I can't see Black Sheep not being a part of my life, but it's definitely not my entire personality and my entire dream. You know, like I would love to write a book too. I don't know what about. I just love reading books. I feel like I've spoken to enough people to, you know, form opinions on certain things. And uh, people obviously listen and or read those opinions. But I like being wrong. You know, I, I, that's why I love doing things like this. It's, it's like every five years I feel is transformative in a way where it's like, okay, I don't believe anything anymore. It's like everything that I used <laughs> to believe, I, I turn it on its head and, and start over because it... That's what's so special about humankind is that we have, that is our gift is cognition. You know, we're able to reflect uh, metacognition, you look inwards and really evaluate and see what's important to us. And I love changing my opinion because otherwise it's just static and boring. I think that's very healthy though. Mm -hmm. It's also, it also drives you crazy because then you don't know what's worth focusing on. Uh, But then I feel like once you relax and you, you know, Bring your shoulders down, unclench your jaw, and just say, okay, wait, who cares? Focus on it until you don't want to anymore, and then do something else. That, I think that's hard. I find that hard. Because mm-hmm. I, I know the things that I'm capable of, and sometimes I feel like, okay, i got to pick one, and i got to go really deep with that one, and then I'll have my moment, and it'll snowball. And now I just feel like I'm going, I guess it's getting back to the whole niche thing. I'm going to show a range, and then be able to do a range. Mm-hmm. And one thing I, I do like about myself, well, there's more than one thing that I like about <laughs> myself, but one of the things is I've never had a really rigid picture of my life. So I never had an exact type of person that I had to be with. I didn't feel like I have to get married by this age. I don't have to achieve something by this age. Or I don't have to own a certain kind of house. Um, and I've let everything unfold on its timeline. And then you let yourself be surprised buy things in the doors that open that is uh rare yeah it's it's rare for probably everybody i i don't even know i know very few people maybe one hand i could name that are that easy going but i know that it's not that it is free of stress or there's no obstacles or there's no hardships but it it's difficult to just like go with the flow yeah. you know i always like to use kind of it's not really an analogy but it's kind of this false example of saying that I am the captain of the ship here, but I am not the crew. I'm not the water. I'm not the wind, you know? And although I have an idea of where I'd like 
this ship to land, it's not fully in my control. And I'm okay with that, you know, because I find, you know, every once in a while, it's going to, it's just going to pull you in a direction you didn't think you wanted to go. And you might find something that changes your life. And the opposite is also true. You might find something that is horrible and devastating (laughs) and you're like, okay, never go there again. You know? Yeah. I think that's the magic in life. So many people, they screw their life over, you know? They just, they put themselves in a box. It's like they, they go into a self-locking jail. They have the key. There's a hole for the key. And they're like, what if I just threw this away? You know? It's like, what a dumb thing to do. <laughs> Hold on to it. Like, I, for, I, what I would do is get out of it immediately. Like, just unlock the door and get out and keep the key in your pocket just in case someone throws you back in there. But otherwise, I mean... There's so, so much world out there, so many people, so many hobbies and projects and amazing things to just waste your time being scared of what could be. Now, I do a lot of wasting my time being scared and catastrophizing every <laughs> worst possible case scenario. That's, <laughs> it's like a funny, it's a funny split in my personality. Like I'm not a very patient person, so I tend to be decisive. And when there's something that I want to do, then I go for it. Mm-hmm. And I have never regretted that, actually. But Good. so it's like I'm worrying all the way along about what could go wrong, but I still just do it anyway. <laughs> so sometimes you have to do that. And, you know, I've known people who they like, I'm going to get married by this age. This is when I'm going to own my house. It's like, well, you haven't, you haven't met that person. You haven't met anyone yet. Maybe we should take a step back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because then what happens is you start to retrofit things into your life that don't actually fit just so you can get to those stages that you think you should reach. Absolutely. And I don't want to do that. So I would rather like go through all the worrying and the anxiety and seize the moment when I can see something good coming. Um, that's what's worked for me. <laughs> sure. And I think that's something that's super special. You know, when, when Katie and I first started dating, you know, we knew from the beginning that it was going to be something, you know, and, yeah. and we were fortunate to do it so young. I, I had just turned 21. She was just turning 18 at the time. So we were both babies, you know, yeah. and it's now it'll be six, six years next month for us two together. We're getting married this September. Uh, but throughout the entire relationship, especially in the beginning, there was a lot of like, questions from other people and then between ourselves we're having these conversations about like are we going to get married when would we get married you know what kind like what kind of family would we want to have do you want to have kids do we care about having this type of house you put the scenarios forward just to see if if it's a match because you may love somebody but not not um gel when it comes to lifestyle and that's a big yeah that's a big uh deal breaker right i feel like a lot of people that are in our parents' generation and grandparents' generation, it was like, you know, they met the person and six months later they were married and a year later they had kids. And it's like, they haven't even lived together yet. And that's why a lot of those marriages didn't work. You know, that's why the divorce rate was higher then than it is now is because of the fact that they just didn't know the person they were living with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it felt kind of weird for me because as much as I was in love with Katie and obviously still am in love with Katie. I was like, I don't think we should do it yet. Not because I'm not ready to, but because we're so young that I feel like we're putting ourselves in a box. You know, Mm -hmm. me getting married to you will not change anything. 
you know, like we've already been living together. I already love you as much as I possibly can. Like it, there's no, it can't really grow. It's not going down ever. It's like, this is the pinnacle, right? Mm-hmm. So why would we put ourselves into a box, especially her? She's almost four years younger than me. So it's like, get married at 21 or 22 and you know, you, you're going to turn 40 or 50 one day and think, really? I locked myself in this fast. Even though you're still in the same relationship, there's something weird that happens when you put titles on certain things. And uh, I think you have to do it when you're ready to do it. You know? And well, it's funny because I, so I met Nick just totally, it was, a, it was a party that I didn't even want to go to. It was one of those situations where I feel like I only know one person. I'm very, I was very nervous. I didn't want to be there. And I met him then. It was a party for new grad students. So he was just starting. And ever since that night, we've been talking every day. So I, I, we both knew very, very early on that this was probably going to be it. Mm-hmm. And we were married after a year. And at that point, Ellis was already on the way. And I think for some people that looked really, really fast. But it, we just really knew at that point yeah. that, it, that that was it. But everybody's different. Everyone's relationship is different. So you can't look at someone and say, why don't I have that? Or why isn't it going that way for me? For that, sure. That's a completely different person with a different set of circumstances. Different psychologies, all sorts of different things going on, you know, like yeah. what worked for Katie and I isn't necessarily going to work for you and Nick, right? And, and yeah. vice versa. So it's, I think so many people, they need to know what they want instead of what other people want for them, right? Yeah. It's, it's that same theme as earlier on in the conversation. Um, relationships, houses, like living arrangements and work are the mo- are, are like kind of the, the staples for most people, right? They, that they think about like, they need to be here for this. They need to have this much money for this and they don't want to be locked in here. So if you can try and take the pressure away from at least one or two or even all three, then all the little stuff is just so much easier to deal with, right? Like I don't need yeah. to worry about Katie. I don't need to worry about a living arrangement. And I love what I do for a living. So everything else is just gravy. And we, so I, I don't own a house yet. And I mean, it's so hard for so many people in our age group. But because we don't own yet, that meant that we moved, like, so we had to move in the middle of the pandemic, the early, early stages in 2020. And that's why we ended up here. And that's how I found Black Sheep is because we moved to Welland first. And if we had, owned a house it would have been so much harder to just pick up and leave so nick had a job opportunity and we were able to move my job was more flexible so as long as i could drive to work we could just go mm-hmm. <laughs> and follow the opportunity and do the right thing for our family so i don't know it, it, it's it's nice to maintain that flexibility mm-hmm. instead of clinging to like oh i have to have a house my parents had a house by this age well, it was a, you know, that's a very different time. Yeah. And I mean, you, you never want to make those types of comparisons because by the time my Nona was five, she'd already been running from Nazis. So yeah, <laughs> I, I think I'm okay with not doing what they were doing at that age. You know, yeah. our lives are in so many ways easier than the previous generations. For sure. But in a lot of ways, they're also more difficult. You know, we have more time to think. And that is a dangerous vice, you know? I mean, our brains are our paradise, but it's also our hell, you know? And, and I think you don't need to be in control of your mind, but you can't let your, your emotions or your doubts be in control of you. 
Mm-hmm. You know? It's a little bit of a balance. You, you have to trust yourself, but at the same time, don't close your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of a, a funny thing with a lot of people and everyone's story is different, but I think I, I'm not a cynical person at all. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic by nature, even though I'm into more dark themes. I yeah. don't know why that is, but anyway, point being is one, the, one <laughs> of the few things that makes me upset about young people is ego. You know, a lot of, uh, a, a lot of people posture. That's a lot of what social media is, is just curating the best moments of their life. And they don't do it for themselves. They're not scrapbooking. And if they printed the photos off and kept it in a book at home, it's a different story. Yeah. But the second you put it out there, you're basically saying, look at how great my life is. Um, and when people don't react in a positive way to the best moments of your life, you think, oh man, maybe my life isn't that great. Or, you know, maybe they, they, should, they feel like they have to start doubting who they are. And then... You have people who are born with genetic advantages, who are tall and attractive and maybe more intelligent than others, or maybe they come from a better economic background, so they're able to get these things faster or go on their vacations. And you'll have 17, 18, 19-year-olds that have more than some 40 and Mm 50-year-olds wagging their finger on, on a camera saying, here's what you need to do to succeed in business. And it's just so backwards to me you know i feel like when you start falling into that trap especially when it's like young guys doing it it's like you know what you're doing it's Mm -hmm. you're it's totally ponzi scheme you know you're you're trying to trick people into thinking that they can have what you have which none of it is your doing you know there's nothing wrong with parents doing well and helping their kids that's what any good parent does is help their kids Mm-hmm. right? You, there's no shame in coming from a wealthy background if that's where you come from, but don't pretend that it's possible for everybody at the same age and with, with half or less than half of the resources. Yeah, it's, it's becoming one of my biggest pet peeves, I'm, and I'm trying to correct that because as a young person with opportunity, I let people know that, you know, here's where I think I have control of my life, but here's aspects where I had I don't want to call it an unfair advantage, but it's definitely an advantage, you know, yeah. and to ignore that fact, I think puts a lot of undue pressure on a lot of people to feel like they need to achieve certain things at a certain age. And even though I'm still considered one of the young guys, I'm getting closer to not being the youth anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I also recognize that there's now people 10 years younger than me who have as much or more. And to, for me to look backwards and compare is ridiculous because yeah. they have a different story and, and a different background. Thankfully, I don't do a lot of comparison. Yeah. But I do find, because I have to look at social media so much with the nature of my job, I do feel like I have got to disconnect from it because it's just making my brain hurt. It's just, it's so much coming at you all the time. But you don't really have a, a personal social media, do you right now? I or? do, but I don't look at it ever. Fair enough. <laughs> so thankfully that page, because I've had it for so many years, it's really mostly all things that I actually want to see, which is other creatives. Yeah. But starting to explore something like TikTok, which can be a real cesspool, I have to just shut it down. It's better sometimes. than Twitter though. Yeah, yes. I don't I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> I am not on Twitter except for work. And we we use Twitter, you know, mostly, you know, just to share news every so often. It's not uh it doesn't really suit the nature of what we do. Um to be on there all the time. But yeah, I I can step back. But also, you know, I didn't I didn't have 
oh gosh, how old was I when I had it? I was in my master's, I think, when I got Instagram for the first time. So I got it later in life. Um, not that that's, that's still very young. But I think, luckily, I did not have it when I was a teenager. I worry, I think a lot about my son and, you know, what is he going to see before he's ready? And, you know, what, what party is he going to see that he wasn't invited to? Or, mm-hmm. you know, so that stuff does worry me. And I, and I think for most people, it's so hard not to compare yourself. I'm not saying I'm never guilty of it. Of course. I do see, you know, I, I, you know when you see someone who's farther along in something than yourself, it's natural to think, well, why aren't I there yet? Maybe it's never going to happen for me. Um, and then that's a good cue to just, you know, put it down, walk away and look at your, your real life. Because you can never, you can't see what's going on behind closed doors. A lot of people are not, you know, plastering all of their worries and the struggles on there. It's, it is tough. I am someone who I really don't care about yeah. what people think of me and I, I think that's why I've been able to to experiment so much is because I'm just if it doesn't work I mean you you can't make fun of somebody who makes fun of themselves right it's the whole Eminem yeah. and eight mile thing right um but at the same time you know I I removed myself entirely pers- from from personal social media for that reason I feel like you start even planning personal events around how it's going to look online you know whether it's getting certain balloons or you know streamers for a birthday party or certain banners for a a baseball uh practice you know and everything even all the way down to proposals you know like when i was about to uh propose to katie i was trying to think like okay how do i want to do this and originally i wanted to do this big grand like super special you know like people coming down on strings, you know, playing guitar from the sky, kind of special, like not that obviously, but <laughs> you know, just something grand and to, mm-hmm. to almost as a, a display of love. And then I realized, okay, Katie knows who I am. You know, she knows the type of person that I am. And if she wants to spend the rest of her life with me, then it doesn't matter what that proposal looks like. And so I intentionally made it the worst proposal on the planet <laughs> and wait, wait 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 so you had this like grand vision and then you're like nah screw it i'm gonna go the off the end yeah of the <laughs> yeah like so to make a very long story short um i somehow ended up with a trailer like a fifth wheel camper trailer um because we didn't think we were going to be able to keep the, our living arrangements so i thought okay if we lose our apartment then at least we've got this backup, right? We can, yeah. we can park it on this farm property and, and we can live in the trailer. So we didn't lose our living arrangements and I still had this trailer. So I'm like, okay, you know, let's spend some weekends there um, mm-hmm. in the summertime, which we did last summer. And uh, the, the week before I proposed, we started watching Avatar for like the hundredth time and we <laughs> made it halfway through and fell asleep and that was the end of it. So then I'm like, okay, when we finish Avatar in our pajamas, in the trailer, you know, like eating a pizza on a cheat night, let's, I'm going to do it then. I'm going to pretend we're going to play a board game and that's going to be the end of it. Like no chance for Katie to dress up or wear makeup. There's no photographer. There's no friends. There's no social media. It was just like the most dumbed down, played down proposal. And we both cried like babies and we, 
and it, it, it rained, which is exactly what I wanted. I couldn't have planned it better. Thunderstorms. We sat in the back of my car with the trunk open and, and just sat in the rain for an hour. And it was the most special moment ever. And we don't have a single picture, you know, like we took yeah. a selfie like hours after. Yeah. But, you know, I see a lot of people now planning proposals around people videotaping it like in public spaces and let's make it this big thing. And if that's their thing, that's their thing. I don't want to knock it because if you love someone, you love someone. Yeah. But I knew for me, I couldn't do it. You know, I, I didn't even want people to know. Like, it, it, I feel, especially with me having a business, it's like that, that even becomes part of it. It's like, let's stage a coffee cup for pictures for later. Like, yeah. and, and say like, oh, it's so dirty and gross to me. It's like, what do you really care about? Right? Yeah. That's, I guess, you know, who's the display for? Yeah. That proposal sounds, the one that you actually had, sounds, yeah. <laughs> sounds so sweet. It was, it was amazing. And, yeah. you know, like, if I, I don't want to do it because I'm super sensitive and will cry here, but if I try No, to if you cry, I'm very sensitive. So <laughs> I'm actually slightly misty now. So if you cry... I won't cry. I will fully, I will fully cry. I'm not going to think too much about it because I will. So <laughs> long story short, like it, it was an incredible, incredibly yeah. special and sweet moment between the two of us. And it couldn't have been better, right? Like yeah. every, every um, landmark moment in mm -hmm. our relationship has been that. You know, like my 28th birthday is coming up in a couple of days, as I said. Um, and we had our first kiss on my 21st birthday. Oh, right. Yeah. So 20, 22nd birthday. Yeah. There we go. And so that kind of stuff is, is special. And I remember mm -hmm. the moments and it wasn't anything crazy, you know. And anyway, I'm getting off track. But the point being is trying to plan your life around staging it for social media is toxic for everybody. And, and yeah. I don't think there's a single person that that benefits them more than it hurts them. Because even if you're successful on social media, because people like watching your life, you're constantly having to live up to that in real life, which is just exhausting. And it's not possible for the richest, most beautiful people. It's not possible. No, it, I, I was thinking about this lately. Um, well, for, you know, my marriage is a very sacred thing. And, you know, strangers are not in my marriage with me. Yeah. You're not invited. <laughs> Please leave. So I, I do share the occasional family photo in a story, but I don't have my husband and my child in my feed ever. Mm. First of all, Ellis is not old enough to consent to any of that. Yeah. And it's a really odd thing that, you know, in, in film, there are all kinds of very strict rules for having children like 10 the, minutes at a time. Yeah. Like, and not overworking them yeah. on social media and YouTube. It is a free for all. Yeah. So what documentaries are we going to see 20 years from now from kids that are like really scarred from this? Yeah. And there's a difference between taking a picture and candidly and posting it versus staging your child for social media, which happens a lot. Like oh yeah. TikTok especially. Right. You see yeah. that it's disgusting what people are, people are making entire pages around their child's habits and forcing them to continually do these habits. Your, your kid can't, like a five-year-old or, or even younger, they can't consent to that. They don't understand what this is. Kids aren't dogs. They're, no, no, they're not. And I, you know, I'm not, you know, taking pictures of him when he's in a doctor's appointment or he's having a hospital <laughs> visit or anything like that. It, you know, there are things that I, I really just want to keep private. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's... I, I started to try to film a YouTube video because I think I am going to 
to do some YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I really like watching art blogs, but there was someone that I was watching recently and she was saying she had to, to drop off of posting because in her personal life, she was noticing that everything was like, okay, what shot can I get from this? And even, even there's something that I want to film and even then I'm like, oh, I got to set a camera up right now. I just want to draw. Mm -hmm. I got to pull out the stand and get the angle and... Yeah, it's difficult. That's why I removed a lot of the video portions of everything that we do. You know, it just, mm -hmm. when it becomes a job, it's not worth it. Even if it helps the business, that's why I've gotten into the point now where I'm like, I'm just going to start hiring people to do promo stuff for the black sheep. It's like, I can do pictures. I've got a, a decent DSLR and you know, I, when something looks really nice, I can just turn it on and take a picture. But mm -hmm. video takes so much extra preparation yeah. in order to make something look good, you know, lighting and all sorts of uh, different positioning and you can't have people moving around as much like a picture. You just need a millisecond, right. To make it look good. Yeah. And, and it's a lot easier to make something look good candidly in a picture than it is with a video. And um, the, as you know, as a marketer, there's so much pressure in especially the Instagram algorithm to have a variety of mediums, like multiple pictures at one time and only so many times, and then a post a reel, and then make sure that you've got a, cons a consistent looking feed, otherwise it's not gonna show up as often. And that kind of stuff becomes difficult because where's the line between being excited about your product and needing it to look exactly the way another company wants, you, wants it to look? It's, the, yeah, this is really hard. This, and I don't have a curated feed anymore. I mean, you can see my, my, my artwork when you look at it, but I, as I said at the beginning, I just had to stop caring about that. Mm. I'm just going to, it's basically my portfolio. I'm going to post my artwork and the people who like it and who might want to do something together will, will find it. It's like, you know, and that works for me. Now working with businesses, I, I do all of the photography for them and making some of the reels. And it's so, what we've noticed, because we do work with an agency sometimes, I don't have, um, you know, I do a lot of photography, but I don't consider myself a videographer and I don't have the fanciest video camera. So sometimes we, every so often we bring in a videographer to do, you know, bigger budget, fancier mm -hmm. work. Um, but some of our top performing videos have been stuff that's shot on a phone. Mm -hmm. Just, you happen to be in the moment capturing something with personality and that's what people end up gravitating. For. That's why people love Vine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It seemed much more like high school theater than Hollywood, yeah. right? It just felt more real and achievable. And that's what made it so funny is because you're like, I have friends like that, you know? And it, it seemed so much more approachable than some of the new social media things going on. But we go through ebbs and flows. It's, I, I think we're going to come back to it. Is when you speak to people in person versus what you see online, there really does feel to be a, a consensus. Like, I feel like most people feel the same way when it comes to, I guess, the way that the world is shifting. Mm -hmm. But then when you go online, it's like they forget all of how they feel in order to fit. Yeah. A and to have their place uh, at the table, which, again, I, I don't care to have a seat there. So, I mean, you guys can fight all you want over these <laughs> high <laughs> bar tables, but it's not, not for me. Yeah. You know, I... I get why people fall into it. I did too. I think everyone does at some point, especially mm -hmm. if you, if you plan on achieving something in the public, you know, you, you need people to be watching in order to have a sustainable bids business, but there is that balance. It's that line. You don't need to be the biggest in the world in order to be successful. And, oh. um, 
that's one thing we did with, with the pandemic. It's like, okay, we went from nine staff to no staff, right? Yeah. Let's figure out where do we really want to be worst case scenario, right? And mm-hmm. once we figured that out and what our priorities were, we realized we only need three staff, yeah. right? So we'll, we'll do a much smaller operation. We can focus on doing fewer products really well um, and, and just stick to the things that we're passionate about. If we don't love it, we don't sell it, you know? And yeah. now we're able to spend so much more time on the relationship that we have with the people that come in here that it just feels fun for us and for the customer. And it doesn't feel like a job to anybody. And it doesn't, it's not that it doesn't feel like a business, but it's not, it's not as polished and as uh, forced as a lot of corporate businesses. And so I'm happy with the compromise. I think this is the way that I, I'd like to keep it for a while. Yeah, mm. I think you should be happy with it. I, yeah, you're doing really good things. Bless your soul. Now, I can't believe how fast time has flown by here. I could talk to you for probably another six hours, but um, as we close this thing up, yeah, maybe what's, what's like your number one thing that you want to achieve next? Is it the book? You talked a little bit about tattooing. Yeah. Are you, have you taken any steps to work towards that at all? Um, yes. So I, so I'm wrapping up my second book. Mm-hmm. So I had my first uh, deadline for the full manuscript at the end of April, and now we've we've gone through another round of edits. So that will come out in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm probably going to. I did two books in two years, so I think I need a little break now. Sure. Uh, it was an amazing experience. I love my my publisher. It was wonderful. But now I think I'm going to take probably a little break from that and focus on um, some more things locally, like figuring out what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I have to give some thought to how I want to maybe connect with other businesses and see what I could do. Like, could I help people with their photography or their branding mm-hmm. or, you know, illustrations for their businesses? Um, um, like murals are a huge goal of mine, indoor and outdoor. And the tattooing is, I, I want to do hand poking. Cool. Machine. You could experiment on me anytime. I would love to. Yeah. I'm going to start with myself. Sure. And I have a really good feeling about it. As long as you use a clean needle, you can do whatever you want. So, so this, this is, the, I feel like this is very important to note is that tattooing is a serious thing. Yeah. Like on social media, you do see a lot of people self-tattooing and buying stuff off of Amazon. Amazon. No, 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 no. I've done hours and hours of research of listening to professional tattoo artists talk about supplies and safety and what surfaces you should be working on. Everything has to be extremely extremely sanitary mm-hmm. and safe so i'm going to the reason why I, I mentioned bringing color back in is because i think first of all if i want to get into doing murals people probably don't always want it to be black and white mm-hmm. so i want to show a range and then for tattooing um i think the style that i want i love like historical looking botanical illustrations sick so i love that yeah love it so i'm going to do I, i'm planning on doing a ginkgo leaf on my wrist. I have a parrot named Ginkgo, my That's favorite cool. tree. <laughs> so yeah, working with the gradients and I love hand poking because um, you're like building things up with dots and I think that'll feel really natural for me. Like doing fine needlework like embroidery. Mm-hmm. You know, it's on skin, so it's different, but sure. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Um, okay. So if people want to get a hold of you in some way, I know obviously mm-hmm. they can find you on Instagram. Yeah. Lake of Spring. Yep. Um, do you have a website or an email address or something where, like, let's say there is 
a publisher out there that wants to help you with your children's book or if someone wants to buy your artwork or they just have a general question for you, where, where would they find you? So they can definitely send me a DM on Instagram, which is the Lake of Spring. I do have a website, which is the Lake of Spring dot com mm-hmm. and you can also reach me via email which is the lake spring at gmail.com awesome uh, but yeah i'm open to doing all kinds of different collaborations it's amazing and <laughs> i'm sure we'll talk more about um you know getting you involved with local businesses obviously yeah. through black sheep and uh different community boards and stuff like the bia i would love I can that. get you in touch with those people and uh start working on some mural projects because there's a lot of people that want to get them done they just don't know who to call and you know, when I was looking to get our giant mural done here, it took me months and months and months to find someone because there is a difference between painting on a piece of paper or canvas yeah. versus doing something outdoors that's going to last. Uh, yeah. And also, it's, it's not as simple as just, like, when it's that big, it's hard to get proportions right. So you need the right kind of person. So to be able to connect you with uh, the types of people that are able to do it would be awesome. Yeah, and I think... You know, if I'm going to be, you know, straddling these two worlds for a while, too, I, I did really want to start to do some uh, volunteering and connecting with boards. because I could see myself getting involved with ec- economic development and tourism, considering yeah. my background. So that would be I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining <laughs> me. It's been such a blast. Um, and yeah, everybody listening, you know what to do. All right. You know, <laughs> you know what the drill is. Every Sunday at noon, we release a new episode uh, and we will see you guys next week.